0: We're going to start the Mishnah on the top of Nun no, Aleph of an Aleph. Mishnah begins, Lo Chisov mi Bodium. Lo Yichasena Mish Tershach. Did not cover it before Shabbat started. Then he may not cover it on Shabbat itself. Chisov If he covered it already and then it was exposed, Mutar the Chasuto. Then is allowed to cover it. Memaleata Kaiton. He's allowed to fill up a pitcher of water. akar or They put under the pillow or under the mattress. So in terms of the first part of the Mishnah, we're talking about atmana here, and we know that you're not allowed to start to do the process of atmana in allowed to be matmin on Shabbat itself. we have seen that. So here, the process has to be done beforehand, and therefore, if he was not matmin Jom, he didn't cover it while it was still daytime then he's not permitted to do that at night, because that's what we call hatmana, the beginning of Atmana process, which must be done prior to the Shabbat. On the other hand, if he already covered it, and then it is exposed, Tosafot says here, even if it's exposed on Arab Shabbat, and if you covered on Arab Shabbat, and for some reason it opened up, that's okay to replace on Shabbat, because you're not starting the Atmana then. You had done the Hatmana already, and then it somehow got moved or exposed, and so because of that, you're allowed to continue on Shabbat, what we call Mosif al Hatmana. You're allowed to add, we'll see that in today's staff, that you're allowed to add on to the Atmana, you're not allowed to start the Atmana. So as long as it doesn't look like you're starting the Atmana, we're okay with you covering it up. So then, for sure, everybody agrees, based on the Mishnah, that if it got exposed or you opened it on Shabbat, that you'd be able to replace the questions on Arab Shabbat if it gets opened up. So I suppose this mechadeish here that even if it got opened up on Arab Shabbat and it went into Shabbat uncovered, but because when you put it in, you covered it, and unbeknownst to you, or for whatever reason, it uncovered, that's okay, and then you can replace it on Shabbat. Other you shouldn't even believe that if it got exposed on every Shabbat, you cannot replace it. It has to go into Shabbat, in order for you to then expose it and recover it on Shabbat. The latter half of the Mishnah deals with hatmana for cold items. We're talking about cold water there, and you want to maintain or insulate the item so the cold stays in the water. So you put it into the car or the cassette, you put it into a pillow under a mattress to protect it from the heat. So that, the Mishnah says, is permissible. And that leads us to the first line of the Gemara, which is, One is permitted, with cold water. The reason being, is because, I'm going to say in one second, we don't have any problem inherently with hatmana and cold water. There's no cooking, there's none of the fears that you have by hatmana by hot items. Our only fear is, that if it's so similar to the hatmana of hot items, then if we allow it to do it with cold items, you're also going to do it with hot items. And that is Amr of Yosef Micah Mashmalon. What is he coming to teach us? Tanina. We already saw it in our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says that explicitly, Memle Adam Kaiton, You can fill up a pitcher of cold water and put it under the pillow, under the mattress. He's really teaching us a lot here. It's only true with something that you normally don't do atmana with. Something that you normally do atmana with, no, that would not be the case. So Rabbi Yehuda Shmuel adds for us a dimension to the atmana of cold, that not only is it true about items that are not normally done with atmana, but even true with items that you normally do atmana with, as long as it's cold, is fine. Rashi, in formulating the subject of that sentence, changes in the midway, which is somewhat difficult, because it says, "What is normal to do atmana with? What's not normal to do with atmana with? What what is he referencing? Are you referencing the insulation, or are you referencing the item that you're putting into atmana? In the first case, Rashi says." It says, well, Actually, the first says it's the insulation that is the unusual side of it, which is using a pillow and a mattress, you don't use that for insulation, for heat. You only use that for cold. And therefore, that's what makes it unusual. And that's why the Mishnah is only talking, talking about a case that is not common, a case where it doesn't have a relationship with heating insulation because it's not the type of insulation you'll use. But then Rashi says in the second statement of the is that something that is darkola to me, something that's normally put into Atmana, then you would have thought, no, that's what Rav Yudam HaShemul comes to teach you, that even that you're allowed to do. There Rashi describes it as the Tavshil, as something that's cooked. That type of item, something that's in a pot that's cooked, that's normally put in So then Rashi almost jumps rails. He starts with talking about the insulation, and then he jumps to the object itself. Is that normally put in Atmana when you have hot? So, Rashi gives you both sides, then, by sw- it's switching the subject between the two Rashis, so it could be true in either case, it could be true of the insulation, or it could be true of the item itself. If it's insulation that you normally don't, don't use by hot items, that would have been a ha- Havamina by the Mishnah. Along comes to Vidar says, even in, with insulation that you normally use by hot items, you're allowed to do it. Or, it could be the other way around. For objects, or items that you normally wouldn't put into Atmana when they're hot, then, that's what the Mishnah addresses. But, the review of comes along and says that even with objects or items like a tavshil, a pot full of food, that normally you would put in the hat, then that is still allowed. So you could be referencing either the insulation or the item itself. Either way, the Kiddish is that not only do we do it in an uncommon occurrence or in not something that connects to the heating part of the hatmana, but even with cold hatmana, we allow you to do this even if it looks similar to hatmana. Amr who knows? So now the gears that they change here is to Amarabi, which is interesting in itself because it would make a lot more sense if it was Ravuna Huna Rav, so Ravuna being a Talmud of Rav, so it would make a lot more sense, very unlikely that Ravuna was quoting from Ravi himself. But nevertheless, because of the continuation of the Gemara, it seems like Rabbi was quoted here. I don't think it's Mukhrach, but that's what it seems like, and therefore Amarav Huna Amarabi, Asur Latvina name. He is against that position of Rabbi Yehuda, Mishmuel, that you're allowed to do Atmana with Sonain, He says, you're not allowed to do it. Don't we have a bright that Rabbi, said, you're allowed to do Atmana with Sonain. So the reason that they moved the Girsut to Rabbi is because it sounds like the Gemara is asking a stira in Rabbi's position. It sounds like Rabbi said, no Atmana. And now we have a bright that says, yes Atmana. Sounds like it's a and Rebbe from the Gemara. Again, you could read it another way to force it. You have a Tana, a tana who says, Yes, Atmana, and you are an Amoro saying, No, Atmana, by gold. so you have to reconcile then. But nevertheless, based on that, they assume that the Gerset is Rabbi. Lokasho, the Gemara says, that's not a problem. Ha mikamei t'lishmai mi Rabbi Shmo that's before he heard the Aloha of and this is after he heard it. What is, did he hear? Tiato ha diyoti Rabbi. Rabbi was sitting. Amar That was his original position, which is that you may not do atmana with cold items. Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yosi, Abba, Abuming, my father, Rabbi Yosi, hittir lahat minet atzonin. He said it was mutar. Amar va hure zaken. He already gave the pesach aloha. We're going to follow his pesach aloha. Amar Abba, hure kama mechavvim zed zed. See how genteel and respectful they were to each other how they gave Kavod or gave credence to the other person's position over here. Rabbi Yossi himself, when he was alive, was under the rule of Rabbi. Rabbi the Nasi. And even though Rabbi Yossi was greater than Rabbi, Nevertheless, he accepted his piskei alocha, he was under his guidance or his rulership as the nasi of Eretz Yisrael, and despite being greater than him, he still gave in to Rabbi's positions, whatever Rabbi said. Tosafot does mention, he mentions this in other places, that that was only true when they first started out, that Rabbi was not as great as Rabbi Yossi. but later on in life, Rabbi, because of the number of tomitim that he had, they were mechadadan, they sharpened him, and then he eventually became greater than Rabbi Yossi. But at least in the beginning, Rabbi Yossi sat in front of Rabbi, despite his being greater than Rabbi. Rabbi Yossi, his son, who was filling his father's shoes, filling his father's shoes not simply because he was the inheritor, but because he was as great as his father. And he sat in front of Rabbi, meaning that he had to accept the Pisgah of Rabbi. And we th- assume, just like Rabbi Shmob Rabbi Yossi was that way, so was Rabbi Yossi. And Rabbi himself says, zakein. He accepts the position of Rabbi Yossi. The fact The fact that Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shmob Rabbi Yossi were in front of Rabbi me Midim. Nevertheless, Rabbi, when he heard a Pesach from Rabbi Yossi, says, I accept, and that's it. I bent my will to the position that I heard from Rabbi Yossi. So, Rav Nachman, the Daru Nachman said to Daru, his servant, "Atmin li You should do a t'mana with tsonein, like we just saw in our Mishnah, as well as by Rabbi Yudah Meshmuel. Achim arama, and bring me some water that was heated up by the non-Jewish chef. Shoma Rabbi Ami. Rabbi Ami got wind of it, vikpid, and he vikpid. He was upset. He was thought that it wasn't correct what Rabbi Nachman was doing." Samarab Yosef Maitama but Why is he upset, Rabbi Ami? He is practicing like his Rebeim. Khadakarav, <laughs> Vikhadakh Shmuel. One of these he's following the ruling of Rav, and one of these is following the ruling of Shmuel. Kishmuel, <laughs> he's following Shmuel Dhammar Rebu Domashmuel at the beginning of our Gemara today, Mutalatminet Tatsone. So he passkin like Shmuel like his Rebbe, and so therefore he said, Go ahead, do Hatmanu with the Tsunai, just like my Rebbe Shmuel permitted it. So why Rabbi Ami, Are you getting upset at him? He's following the position of his Rabbi. Kirab, he followed Rav's position. Damarav Shmuel, anything that is eaten in its raw state, bo there's no problem of bishul akum there. We have a principle that you may not eat items that were cooked by a non-Jew. What is considered to be cooked by a non-Jew? So first of all, for B'nai Ashkenaz, the Ramah says that a Jew must just do a simple... Participation in the cooking process in order to remove this Isur. There, the Gemara describes it as throwing in a small piece of wood, lighting the fire. Today, we either do it by lighting the pilot light or turning on the flame. Once that is done, that's enough participation, at least for Bnei Ashkenaz, that it's no longer classified as Bishulay Akum. So then the other qualifications we've been, we're not discussing here today, one of them we mentioned, there are two of them, which is that bishule Akum only applies to Number one, items that require cooking, that they would not have been eating in their current state. And so first, of water. Water is drunk in the cold state, like it is now. You don't have to heat it up in order to eat it. Therefore, if it is heated up, it's not considered to be bishulei akum. Very good, exactly. It's a machloket in the Gemara. The Gemara has a machloket about which one is true here. Number one is what's mentioned in our Gemara. The second one is what you just mentioned, Fred, which is, it has to be food has to be something of enough stature that it will be served at the king's table. It has to be not something that is just your run-of-the-mill type of food or something that is not appropriate to be put on the king's table or you could say today the prime minister, or the president's table. Again, like is being mentioned for here is that times have changed and many things end up on the... President's table, that may not have been true in the time when they had kings. But those are the two qualifications. The Gemara brings them as separate opinions. We bask in the kula like hem. That you need both of them to be true in order to be bishuleyakum. It has to be something that's not eaten in its raw state. And something that also would go on to the shulchan melachim in order to be bishulakum. So if you have either one of those items, that is poteriu. So for instance, coffee. Making of coffee is something that, even though it's olea shulchan melachim, Nevertheless, because the heating process, what's cooked in there is the heating of the water, that heating of the water is considered to be not problematic because there is no bishu'akum b'shenecha al chai. The question about the coffee itself, are you cooking the coffee? Most coffee are already, they're roasted or cooked already, and therefore the heating of up or placing them into the hot water is not considered to be bishul again. And because of that, there is generally considered to be no akum when it comes to coffee. Right, so Eim Bishol Bishul does apply over here to Bishol The question is, how does the rules of Bishol apply to Shabbat? Is it a two-way street? And we do say Eim Bishol Acha generally by Bishol even though that phrase never really appears in Shas, is a derivative of a Mishnah later on that we're going to get to in the Gemara Shabbat. We quoted it before. I think Gandaf Lametet, ma'am, we quoted that Mishnah, but that there seems to be no Bishol Acha on Shabbat. And we have the same position when it comes to Bishulayakum. The question, we raised this two days ago with the apples, is does it go the other way around? Just like here when we're saying that if something can be eaten in its raw state, there is no bishul yakum do we say the same thing about bishul bishabat? If something can be eaten in its raw state, is there therefore no bishul on Shabbat? Now obviously there is bishul. We're not talking about the question of whether you are a Mavashal. If you really want to cook it, and you like it better that way, that's melechet makshevet, and you've done cooking. The question is if a person's indifferent, or even likes it better raw, if it's cooked then... Is that considered to be cooking on Shabbat? From a lochic sense, not from a true sense. Of course, he's cooked it, he's changed the status of the item. He has boiled the apple. Nevertheless, if this person would have been just as happy to eat it raw, is that not considered to be bishel on Shabbat? And that's what we discussed. The uh, Tosafot quoted, and we talked about the Chubbos of Vaz, as well as the other poskim that discussed this issue as to whether there is bishel akum by raw items that don't necessarily have to be cooked. So in the end, if Rav Nachman is following the positions of his Rebbeim, Rav and Shmuel, why is it that Rabbi Ami got upset at him? My answer is, Rav Nachman is a an individual. As Rashi phrases it, if people see him, Shu mekil that he does things with the Kula, Ome de Yo Yoter, they're gonna go even further. So even though Mihikar Adin, it is correct, but since there are some that are Noeg here, and he goes ahead and he's Meikil, and goes with, to Tzad Kula, he's gonna set a precedent by which people are gonna think that Allah is not so important, or where I need to be, I can't be Meikil. And therefore he felt that it wasn't appropriate for Rav Nachman to act in this manner. Tanab even though we said you're not allowed to do atmanah with something that is not In balosif, If you want to add on, you can't add on. So if you remember back on daf la the gemara discussed the issue of atmona. What are the restrictions of atmona? We said that when it comes to something that is mosif something that adds heat to the item, that you cannot do even on Arab Shabbat. You can't be mad min a mosif hebo. Because our fear was Shema Yakmin B'Rametz. Maybe you do that mana with a coal or something that's hot, and we're afraid Shema that's It's something you'll stoke that, the remetz, those hot coals, and therefore you can't even do it on Erev Shabbat. The Gemara then brought a second restriction, which is that then, of course, you should be able to do it with the Dabar Sheinu Mosif Hevel. Gemara asked, if it's not Mosif Hevel, then what's the problem? And number two is, if it's not Mosif why is it even a problem on Shabbat itself? Why can't you insulate on Shabbat? What's wrong with doing that tomorrow on Shabbat? Before there answer Shema Because maybe it will heat it up. When's it going to happen? He's going to come on Shabbat, Friday night, after the sun has set. He's going to go to take the pot to be matmim, to insulate it inside of an area that is not mostly fevel. And then he's going to feel that the pot's cold. It's not hot enough. And because of their diligence or their feelings that they need to have that hot dish ready for Shabbat, they're going to come to heat it up. Because they're afraid that it's not going to be ready for the meal, it's not going to be hot enough for the meal, and they're going to heat it up and be mevashel on Shabbat. So we said, therefore, you cannot do atmana on Shabbat itself, even when it's not Mosif because of this problem that the person might come to realization that it's not hot enough, and that will cause him to heat it up, cook it, put it back on the fire. So the Gemara says over here, that, Afopi shemru, Eintom nim afilu Mosif you know how to do a once it's miha sheicha, once it's nighttime, Mosif. You're allowed to add on to that. You're allowed to increase the insulation. It's Keit Sa said. How do you do this? You can take away the sheets and put on blankets. Take away blankets and put on sheets. Obviously, one way it makes more sense than the other. Rashi reads this as a continuum. Kate Sadu says explaining the statement before, which is you're allowed to add on to the atimana on Shabbat, and how do you do that? Here, you can put blankets instead of sheets. That's a one continuation. Tosafot says that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel is of a different opinion of the Tana Kama. The Tana Kama says you can add. Rabbi Shimon says you can exchange. You can actually change the insulating material. So he says the case that Kate over here is not explaining the previous statement of being Mosif. It's explained in the position of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, who says you can even swap out the insulation. You can take out the sheets and put in blankets instead. Suppose the Tanakamu simply says if you have one sheet, you can put on two sheets or three sheets. You can increase the insulation but may not be able to swap out the insulation. And this is the position of Rabbi Shimon Mecham That you may not insulate or do Atmanal with that one pot or urn that was heating up the water me mecham the mecham, if you moved it from one pot to the other, from a Rishon to a clicheni mutar, that is allowed. Why? Because hashta kure kam Akirlo, because he is chilling. He is cooling off the item. Artuchemitla. Why would he have any intention to reheat it at that point in time? Remember, our fear again is that he's going to come and be faced with the cold pot for something that's not hot enough, and then he's going to heat it up, he's going to want to cook it. Over here, he had the item in a Kli show. It was inside of a pot that had sat on the fire. It's no longer on the fire now, but it's hot. It's a pot that can cook if it reaches the it boil in a gleery show, then he pours that into a cliche knee. When we pour from a gleery show to a cliche knee, you know you're cooling off whatever is inside of the gleery show. Remember Tosafot suggests it has to do with the cold walls of the cliche knee. Or whether it's the exposure to the air as you pour it over. Whatever the reason is, it's clear that when you move from Kli to cliche you are cooling off whatever was in the Kli If that is the case, we're not going to worry then and put an Xayra in place. Don't do Atmanah then with this secondary item because you might come to heat it up. Then don't move it out of the Kli If you really wanted it to be hotter, you would never have poured it out of the Kli into the cliche The fact that you've now poured it from Kli to Kli already indicates your intention to allow this to cool off. So they're not going to worry about you then heating it up again. If you insulate it now, there is no fear that you will reheat it. Taman, vikisa b'davar This is a Tosefta. This Tosefta is going to go through the end of this Amud and into the next Amud. And it's going to involve issues that don't seem connected because it's just quoting a long, very long Tosefta over here. So a person did a tmana and covered the pot. B'davar nita b'shabbat. i Oh, Taman b'davar nita Or he used for insulation... Something that's muxa, but he covered it the top layer of the insulation he used something that was not Mukse no there there's no problem it 's very easy to gain access to the pot either. You can lift the pot out, or even if you can't reach the pot, you can move whatever's on top of the pot because it's not muksa So there that's very simple, straightforward. The problem comes in the other way around, which is Taman Used for the insulation plus the cover, something that may not be carried on Shabbat, meaning muksa. Oh, or, or he's surrounded or insulated with something that's not carried on Shabbat. B'davar nita'a b'shabat. But the cover, the top layer, was something that was muksa. If a portion of it is exposed, no here, then you can take it out and put it back. Vimlav, if it's not the case, no there. he may not take it out and put it back. Question here is, why not? Once you have the muqsa item on top, you can't take it out, you can't put it back, if it's totally covered. And that's whether it's muksa on top and muksa on the sides, or just muksa on top. The problem being that the muksa that you place on top is something that you cannot move, something that you cannot remove. If that's the case, you don't have access to the pot. Because you don't have access to the pot, the question is, with what will you hold the pot? You can't get to the pot without moving the Muksa. To move the muksa, that you're not allowed to do on Shabbat. So that's what's precluding you from getting access to the pot. Rashi asks a very simple question. He says, fine, you have muxa on top, but you told me the insulation on the side is not Muksa. So all you have to do is... Enter from the side, instead of from the top. Stick your hand down the side and pull out the pot that way, instead of going from the top. So Rashi solves the problem with something that's very controversial. He says, can't do that, because the insulation on top that is made out of muksa now made the pot a bussis ladavar asur, makes the cover of the pot a base to support or carry something that is asur. So because of that, you're precluded from moving it even from the side now, because the pot or the cover became a bussis ladavar asur, which you may not move on Shabbat, and Even a min side or tiltu min atzad, you can't move it anymore. So you're done. Once it's a busis adav asur you're done. The problem with that is that Rashi just said back on memtet amud alif by the Mishnah, Rashi said over there, You take over the cover, then the insulation falls away by itself. Rashi over there says, it's not a busis adav asur how do I know it's not a basis l'adavar asur? Because the lo basis al The cover there is not made to hold up the insulation. It's made to cover the pot, and so therefore it's not functioning as a basis. It's not functioning as a base or something that's supporting that which is above it, because that's not what it's there for. The cover is there to cover the pot, not to support the insulation above it. So Rashi already clearly said that it's not a basis l'adavar asur, and over here he calls it a basis l'adavar asur. What you have to answer for Rashi is that the difference here is being migulek or not being migulek tzat. Maybe by the Mishnah there was something exposed from the pot, and over there he says it doesn't become a baza sladavar asur. But over here, where there is no exposure of the pot, this is where it does become a baza sladavar asur. That's what you'll have to say for Rashi. Tosafot says he doesn't understand how Rashi could say it's a baza sladavar asur, and therefore the Re and the Ravenu Tam come up with alternative answers to figure out why when the cover is muqsa you can't get access to the side. One of them is to say that the cover is similar to the covers that they use in restaurants or in fancy settings. For instance, bring out a plate with a tray, and then they have those covers that not only cover the top, but they cover the sides. So that type of cover is what we're speaking about here, according to the rabbein tom that the cover not only encapsulates the top, but the sides as well. And because of that, once you have books on top of the cover, you can't get access to it from the sides, because the cover itself is now the problem, and you can't get access. That's one Possibility. The re explains that it's The way that he did it was that the side insulation, and the bottom insulation was, for instance, he put into a basket. He placed the pot into a basket, so the side insulation and the bottom insulation are the basket itself. Then he fills the top of the basket with muxa now. That's what creates the top cover, is that muxa area. So he doesn't have access to the side now because it's not something that falls away. The assumption of Rashi is that whatever insulation you're using on the side is something that you could stick your hand into and then pull out the pot. If you're using a kupa, a basket, you're not going to have access. It's something that's solid, you're not going to have access to the side. Dosafot deals with the issue by creating cases where you don't have access to the sides. And that's why the muqsa on top is problematic. Rashi says, well, well, the is on top, you do have access to the sides. So Rashi comes up with a different al issue, which is basis ladavara asur. Because now the cover became a buses to the mukse on top. And again, we discussed that that's not so simple because earlier in the Gemara we already saw that that's not the case. Rashi already said that it's not a buses to the and therefore you have to reconcile that issue for Rashi, which we said maybe makes a difference whether it's totally covered or only partially covered. Now, the Tosefta continues into what's almost a non-sequitur, which is, We already quoted this Tosefta back on... Memtet Amud Aleph, where we discuss what the issue is with this Naoricho Pishtan. This very thin residual of the Pishtan of the flax. Over there, Rabbi Yehuda says you may not use the thin one, you can only use the gasa, only the thick one. Can asks, ask why? The answer of that was that Rabbi Yehuda believes that Naoricho Pishtan are Yukizevel. It's like Zevel, which we already know is Mosif Hevel. So that's why he doesn't allow you to use it. What does this have to do with the previous statement in the Tosefta? Not very much. But it's just a, a long Tosefta that they're quoting. And therefore, there's no connection necessarily between them. Obviously, we're talking about Atmanah in both cases, and that's the obvious connection between them. Then, <laughs> Tosefta continues and says, you may place a mecham on top of a mecham, a gdra on top of a gdera. a pot that's used, or some utensil that's used to heat water, or a gdra, a pot that's used to cook in. So you could put the water or the urn on top of the other urn, you could also place a pot on top of another pot. Now here's saying the Gemara is problematic. Rashi already notes the problem. You can see in the Maserat he already says that, that the Sept doesn't say what our Gemara says, and therefore they rework the next statement, which is, you're allowed to also put a Gdera al-Gabe Mecham. You can put a pot on top of the urn, that is allowed. Of a Mecham gabe The only thing you're not allowed to do is put a Mecham, which is the water urn, on top of the Gdera, on top of the pot. The assumption being here that the Gdera gets much hotter. Dera can reach a much higher heat than the mecham can reach. So therefore, if you're within the same status quo, which is, if you put a mecham on top of a mecham, you haven't now put it onto something that is quote-unquote mostly Hevel. That's something that's going to add to the heating here. You're taking two items that are of the same heat level, technically, or can reach the same heat level. Therefore, if you put one on top of the other, it's fine. Same thing with dera Gavik Dera, you put a pot on top of a pot, they both reach that higher level of heat and that's fine. So too, if you put the Kedera on top of the Mecham. If you place the hot pot on top of the urn, on top of the cooler one, that's also not a problem of Atmanah. The only problem in time you're going to have an issue is when you put it on the bottom. The Kedera is on the bottom, which is a hotter item. And then you put the Mecham on top of it, which does not reach that same heat level. So now you basically put a heat source underneath. And that's going to be a problem of hatmana coming into Shabbat. Now this is mentioned twice in the Shulchan Aruch. It's mentioned in Reish Nunchet, nun addresses this issue on what seems to be the topic of the Tosefta, which is a problem of Hatmana. If you, if you then put dough around it, or you lock it in place, putting the higher item on the bottom is problematic in terms of Hatmana. The other place it's brought up is in Yud Chet. Yud Chet is the Siman in Shulchan Aruch with regards to Bisho. And this is more famously known for the other part of the Aloha where it's relevant, which is G'deira, Al Gabe which is how we can do Chazara on Shabbat. You're allowed to return an item to the fire on Shabbat, as long as it's Kedera al gabit There are numerous problems that come up with terms of cooking on Shabbat. The ones that are Daraita, we almost never bump into, because most of our cooking is done before Shabbat. Then, if it's Gemachal B'Dusai already, we go into Shabbat, we assume that's all fine. Most of that is not the issues of cooking on Shabbat, most of the issues that we run into are issues Dira Banan. This is the banan Shiiyah, which we already discussed extensively, which is leaving something on the fire going into Shabbat. There we said it has to be to katum. It has to be either cleared out or ashes poured on it. Today, the modern day idea is the blech that's on the fire. You have to do something that, according to Rashi, cools down the fire. According to the Ran, is a hekker so that you will not come to stoke the coals, not come to raise the flame going into Shabbat. So that's the requirements for Shiiyah, leaving something on the fire on Shabbat. There's an additional issue on Shabbat itself, at least for Bnei Ashkenaz, which is that on Shabbat itself, to return something to the fire, we worry about something called Mechse Kibishol. Looks like you're cooking on Shabbat. Now if the item was hot, you took it off the blech, as long as you follow the requirements that the Gemara lays out about how exactly you hold this pot, then you may return it to the fire in the exact same position it was before. You can put it right onto the blech, no problem. So, for instance, if you take an item off the fire and you hold it in your hand the whole time, you serve something out of it, you can replace it as long as a uh, liquid remains hot. If it's a solid any way you like, you can put it back onto the blech itself. Because then it's basically a continuation of the original Shia. problem comes, for instance, if you have something in the refrigerator. You have chicken, you have a kugel that's in the refrigerator, a solid item, which ain't bishol achar bishol, you want to place it onto the blech on Shabbat. There, for, at least for B'nai Ashkenaz, we say it's mechzeke bishol. It looks like you're taking a cold item, putting it onto a heat source and cooking it on Shabbat. Yes, you know that it was already cooked. But that, to an outsider, that's not necessarily true. They don't know that you cooked it beforehand. They don't know that this is already mevushal. So they, it looks like you're cooking on Shabbat. So you have to do an additional item, which is a hekker. An additional item that indicates that you're not cooking on Shabbat. So it's lo mechse kibisho. So one of the suggestions is kudera al gabe kudera. If you place one pot on top of the other pot, that's not the normal way to cook. Since that's not the normal way to cook, then together with dein bisho bisho, even if it reaches the people will know you're not cooking because nobody cooks this way. So by putting it on top of the other pot, it shows or it's an indication that you're not intending to cook. Yes, the item is cooked already. Had it not been cooked and it reaches the bowl you would have had a problem. But the whole way that you're doing it already demonstrates that that's not your intent because you wouldn't have cooked in this way. There are kulot with this. We don't necessarily pass in this way, the lochah, but in you can't use them. For instance, items that are not usually cooked on top of a stovetop, items that are baked in an oven. Kugels, bread that is baked inside of an oven, when you put it on top of the blech, that's not derech bishulo. That's not the normal way to heat these items up. It might be then that it's sufficient to put them directly on the blech without any Gdera gabe Gdera because that's not the normal way to cook such items. That dispensation, again, is not accepted by all. It's a kula that we don't necessarily rely on. We much prefer that you do it kadeira, agave, kadeira, even with items that are not normally cooked in this way. But again, when there's a great need or there's some other issue, you may place it back onto the black directly if it's an item that's not normally cooked in that way. Kazanish does have an unusual position with regards to blechs and he says even though we believe that we don't normally cook on a blech and already that's enough of a hacker to show when you're coming up to Shabbat to leave things on the blech unless the Chazan Ish says that a blech is the equivalent of a griddle. People do cook on a griddle. You go into the local deli put it onto the hot griddle a blech is no different than a hot griddle. You could cook an egg right on that griddle. So the Chazanish says that, I don't think it's really accepted so much the but the Chazanish does suggest that maybe there's a problem with blechs that's not really a because you're creating an item that's a normal manner to cook with, which is a griddle. How does a griddle work? It has elements underneath it, it has a fire underneath it, and it's a hot, flat metal surface. That's what you've created. Correct, correct. Right, you could differentiate and say that you're still not utilizing it the way that people use a griddle, which is put food directly on it. But in general, I, I don't think the is accepted mostly the Aloha, which is, I think, most people do use blechs on Shabbat, going into Shabbat and could that send that to be sufficient. Right, so that's a good question. With regards to platas, which has become, especially in Israel, is much more popular, it does solve one of your problems, which is, generally, platas don't have ability to change the heat level. Since they don't have an ability to change the heat level, you don't have a problem with shema Eichateh. There's no issue of Shem'i Yechatet HaGechalim because you can't change the heating. If you can't change the heating, then there's no problem with Shia and then you should be able to leave it directly on the Plata going into Shabbat. The Plata becomes its own Blech in that sense because you can't change it. The question of whether it's considered to be an Ish Kisui, is it a covered flame? So most people believe that a Plata is a covered flame because the flame, the elements are found inside the Blech. I've heard Rav Shechter argue and others argue that the elements inside of it are not considered to be kisuim because... That's the way they're made. They're not made another way. That's the way the plot is made. You don't say something's covered because that's the way that it heats. That's the way it works. That's the way it functions. And so therefore, they want to argue that that's not considered to be a mechuse, and therefore you have to put another layer, you have to put tinfoil on it, you have to put something else on top of it, because of that problem, the same will be true with a crockpot. You might have that same issue, which is, is the crockpot considered to be a mechuse? So considered to be covered, because, again, the elements are covered at the base of the crockpot. Is that considered to be covered they're enough for she'iah? Or do you have to do something else? Do you have to align it with tinfoil, put something underneath? Some people make a ball of tinfoil, throw it in. Our practice, or what I ask my wife to do, is to take the dial off the crockpot. The dial, the plastic dial, it changes it from off, low, and high. Right, you can't change it that if you remove it. And before every Shabbat, she takes it off the crockpot. And therefore, you don't have a problem anymore. of shema And it's also a simon. Yeah, you put tinfoil on top of it. You have to be careful, because then it sometimes it conducts the heat. And it melts then up. But you should know that there are, there are others that are very mock P to put in, either line it with tinfoil, put a tinfoil ball on the bottom with to crock pots and with platot. We have no issue of yes, <laughs> let have no issue of platot, yes. Yeah, so yad to let it is not an issue, we know that, because if you only put something on the fire on Shabbat that is already mevushal, the fact that it reaches yad to let it bow is not an issue, because there's no bishul. If you're rim of Asha, it doesn't matter how you do it here. If you put something that could be cooked on the plat on Shabbat, and it cooks, you're fighting for bishul on Shabbat. That's not a question. You take out a cold liquid and you put it onto the plata. If it reaches the atsolete you've cooked on Shabbat. The issue of reaching the atsolete is not relevant. The issue is whether you can change the temperature and whether it's mexicubicial, if it's like you're cooking. Those are the main issues. The atsolete is not an issue. The only time the atsolete comes up is what we discussed between Rashi and Tosafot, which is, for instance, you want to put a liquid that's cold on the plata. If you can find a place in the Plata that will never reach Yad Zal-Ledipo, we pass them that that's allowed. You can heat up something on location that will never reach Yad Zoledipo. Rashi says you can put it on and take it off before it reaches Yad Zal-Ledipo. We don't pass them that way. Tosafot argues on that and says no, only if it's in a location that will never reach Yad Zal-Ledipo. If you can find a place in the Plata that doesn't reach Yad Zal-Ledipo, you could put liquids, you could put items that are not allowed to be in on and Shabbat. You can't place them there on the Plata. Right, so that's a big question in the post scheme is how much liquid is considered to be a liquid item versus uh, a solid item. That the post discuss what that threshold is, how liquidy does it have to be in order to be classified as a liquid instead of a solid, which has a big naf in ain't bisho bishul, which all the bishonim agree by solid item. There's no bisho achabisho, happens to be but there's bisho bishul by liquids. We happen to be choshesh or possibly like those that say there is bishop bishul by liquids, and therefore you have to be careful about that threshold between solids and liquids. You're allowed to attach the two pots together with dough, not so that they should get hotter, because that it should stay in place, that it should hold the heat and should stay in place. That is allowed. Just like you're not allowed to do Hatmanah by hot items, you're not allowed to do hotmana by cold items. Now we have Rabbi Hiti. Let's it's Rabbi says it's mutar again. Rabbi says this after he heard it from Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi and changed his mind. So he does say that you are to do tsonen, which is the way we pass on That is, you can do hatmana with tzonein. Then, an important alocha now. V'ein marzikin lo et sheleg barad. One may not crush ice or snow on Shabbat. It's interesting. Rashi over here translates barad as glatsia, probably from the word glacier. Ice or snow. use zovu meymav, in order to make them into a liquid. About not eating the tocha kos, but you can put it into a cup, or the tocha kia rav, enochosheish, or into a bowl, and not worry about it. Here there is a three-way makhlok at as to what the issue is. Rashi says that when you yuzobu meybav, shabbat, creating something new on shabbat. Viddomi la malacha. It looks similar to malacha, He's creating this water. So Rashi says it's a Mexican molid. There's a restriction on shabbat about creating something new. You can't be molit. Something that is, comes into existence or into accessibility on Shabbat is the problem of nolat. It's a problem of muksa of nolat on Shabbat. Rashi says over here, it looks like you're nolat. Everybody knows that the reason that ice or snow turns into water is because it melts. When it melts, it's really the same item. It's just changed its form. So therefore, as Rashi says, it's not really molit, but it looks like you're changing. It looks like you're taking something and changing its form. So because of that, it's not allowed to be done on Shabbat. On the other hand, what's clear from Rashi is if you leave the ice in a cup, or you leave the ice in a bowl, and it melts by itself, that would be fine on Shabbat. That'd be totally okay because Rashi says it's mechse kemolid. Over here, you're not doing anything. It's happening by itself, and therefore it'll be fine on Shabbat. You're not actively changing the status of this item. On the other hand, the the Rashba quotes other possibilities. The Rashba himself says the problem here is schita. It looks like you're sucheit so the item. It looks like you're squeezing the item to take out the liquid from it. So when you're squeezing an item to take out the liquid from it, it looks like a problem of shita. People are going to think just like you can squeeze ice or snow to get liquid, you can squeeze a fruit to get its liquid out. Therefore, he says you may not do it on Shabbat, but dispensation of the Rashba is if you crush the snow inside of another liquid, if you crush the ice inside of another liquid, it will be fine. Because over there, you can't see that the liquid is emanating from there, You can't see that there's shita being done. So over there, the chashash falls away. So that's the one header of the Rashba. The Rashba says that if you crush it inside of a liquid, then you are fine. The other position is that of the ritva. The position of the ritva is, it's not looking like molida is molida on Shabbat. You actually are creating something new on Shabbat. And therefore, the ritva says... That one may not crush ice or snow on Shabbat, but if it is placed into another liquid, you're okay. Because that's not looked like molding on Shabbat. So you can put ice into a drink and let the ice melt by itself. If you put it into a liquid, that's fine. Yeah, you could, might be able to put it in the hot water. Yes, depending on how hot it is. You have to be careful of how hot it is. It's the same question, putting cold water into hot water in general. You can't cook water in a cliché. So it's a cliché, you can put the ice into it directly. Leave sure it's below. Yeah, it's a boil. then you can put ice into it. Alright, so there you have three opinions in the Rishonim as to what the issue is. Rashi's Mexican Ritva says it's Molid Mamash. The Rashba says it's the problem of All of these can be solved in some ways, in first instance, if you place it into a cup of water that exists already that can solve your problem, according to most. You also, you can crush it according to the Rashba inside of water and you won't have a problem. So we are maykill in general with regards to some of these issues because of these dispensations that you have by ice. Right, we begin the next parakir, which is Bame bema yotza. Bame bema inu yotza. What is an animal allowed to go out with on Shabbat and not allowed to go out with on Shabbat? Now, the restriction for an animal to go with something on Shabbat comes from pasuk that says the mani yanuach. That your animals have to rest on Shabbat. There's a demand that your animals rest on Shabbat. Your animals may not go or walk around with anything that's called a masui, anything that's called a burden, They can't carry or work on Shabbat. It doesn't come from the apostle that says, over there, that, the only malachah there is not to be mechamer, it's not to drive your animal. That's not talking about carrying it. Laman Yanuaf says you may not put an item on an animal. How do you know if something's considered to be a masui or not a masui? How do you know if it's a burden for the animal? Or it's simply the normal part of the animal's wear? So the answer is, if it's something that an animal normally wears, and it would be considered a part of its quote-unquote clothing, that is permitted on Shabbat, that's not considered to be a burden, and the animal can have that on on Shabbat. On the other hand, if it's an item that an animal does not normally wear, or it's excessive on the animal, that's considered to be a Masui and it's not allowed on Shabbat. For instance, you can say right away, anything that is decorative on the animal, that is a Masui on Shabbat you can't place on the Shabbat. That's not something that's necessary for the normal guarding of the animal. It's not something that the animal has to wear. It's something that's optional, and if you place on the animal, it's a Masui. It's an extra burden for the animal, and you may not do that on Shabbat. So that's what the Mishnah is discussing over here. So now it says, what is it allowed to go out with? You'd say Gamal B'Afsar. A Gamal, a camel can go out with, an Afsar is a halter, or today it means, Afsar means reins, with its reins. vinaka na'aka is a female camel, who is a little more mischievous than the, the male counterpart. Therefore it goes out chotem. B'chotem is a nose ring that you put on it, then you tie the nose ring down to keep it calm. V'lubdikim, V'lubdikim are these wilder donkeys, Beprumbia, it goes out with its bit. Besus and a horse goes out b'shir. Shir is a collar that has some sort of leash on it. So these are the normal items that these animals wear that are used to control them, to keep them domesticated. And therefore they're allowed to go out with them on Shabbat because that's considered to be normal, and normal for that animal. V'chol b'alei ashir, anything that wears a collar and a leash, Yotzin b'shir, you can go out with their collar. Nimshachim and you can pull them with their leash. Even though you're not carrying on Shabbat, you can take the leash and pull the animal because you're not carrying the leash; you're moving the animal. You're trying to move the animal along. And if you have, to, if they become Tameh, the collar becomes Tameh, If it's made out of metal, you can do the hazah of the paraduma on it, and you can put it into the mikveh without taking it off the animal. You can leave the collar on the animal, dip it into the mikveh. You can sprinkle the paraduma onto the collar even without taking it off the animal. It's considered to be loose enough around the neck that you can do it without removing it from the animal. Kumar says, What does it mean, a female camel with a nose ring? It's a white female camel, with a metallic nose ring. That's what's considered to be normal for this type of camel. This type of camel is considered to be extra wild. Therefore, it needs a higher level of domestication or protection to stop it from doing what's wrong. And a nose ring is the proper way to do that, and that's why it's not considered to be carrying on Shabbat. what's this? It's Hamra Luba. It's a donkey, a Libyan donkey or a Lubian donkey. Tosafotovir quotes from Menutam, who says Luba is Mitzrayim, an Egyptian donkey. De Parzulo. With a metallic bit. So that's what he's allowed to go out. That's what's considered to be normal for these animals. (inaudible) Levi sent money to this location, (inaudible) where they used to breed. (inaudible) These donkeys, these very strong donkeys. (inaudible) You wanted to buy this, whether it's a Lubian, Libyan, or Egyptian donkey. (inaudible) They sent his money back. With and in it, they enclosed barley seeds into it. Lemaimar to hint to him the nigre the chamra sare what strengthens the donkey is feeding it a lot of barley. They said not worth it for you to buy it over here. It's too far away. You're traveling for six months. That six months travel, it's not worth buying the donkey. By the time it gets to you, it's going to be weakened. It's not going to be in this condition that you want it. They sent back to him and says, "Don't bother buying here. Just do it on your own. Take your donkey and feed it a lot of barley, and it'll be strong and it'll do what you want it to do." We used to change around the animals and their utensils in front of Rabbi, meaning in our Mishnah, we used to say a Gamal with a Chotem, a Naka with a Afsar. We used to switch around and ask him what the was. What's the did? Naka bafsar, female camel with a halter. That you shouldn't have any question about. It does nothing for it. It's not sufficient to guard it, to keep it domesticated. Therefore, it's clearly a burden on it and you cannot let it go out. The reason that a nakah needs a chotem is because an afsar would not suffice. So if an afsar doesn't suffice, putting on it is meaningless because if you put the afsar on, you've done nothing for it and it's simply carrying it around. Kita What about a camel with a nose ring? My, gave it to sagulei b'afsar since it would be sufficient for it to use a halter or reins. raid. Since you're doing more than necessary, that's considered to be a masui. Oh, maybe making something even better, stronger protection, that is not considered to be a burden. If you do more than necessary, that's not a problem. So in the instance, if a dog on a leash would be enough, and you put a muzzle on the dog, is that considered to be caring? You've done something more than necessary, but it's still protective, it still works. So if it's functional in that way, maybe that's okay. So that's the Gemara's question, of what it's posing over here. So Amar lefanav Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Again, Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi says in front of Rabbi. This is what my father said, Rabbi Yosi. Four animals go out with a halter with reins, a sus, a horse, va pered, and a mule, va and a camel, va and a donkey, mai. Why do you need to know that these four animals go out with a halter? mute gamal Is it coming to teach you that a gamal could only go out with, with reins or a halter? Not with a chotem a nose ring. Lo, the It comes to exclude in case of the female camel, she can't go out with an afsar because it's not sufficient. So no we from that in answer. we have a bride that says These Lubdukaya, these Lubdukayan donkeys and the Gamal go out with the Nafsar, with reins. So the question of what, how you learn from this, the question of the Gemara. Raja says the question of the Gemara is that if it is sufficient for the Lubdukayan donkey, then it's certainly more than enough for the Gamal. We saw in our mission, in terms of hierarchy, that the Lubdukayam need Prumbia. They need a bit. It's not enough to have a halter on them. So if this halter that you're using is sufficient for these donkeys, then it's more than enough for the Gamal. So you see from that that it is mutar to put on this extra protection. On the other hand, the Rift and the Rosh think that the fact that it says Gamal b'afsar, that the Gamal can go out with an afsar, that's what the Gemara is being from over here. tonight, <laughs> an The Gemar says it is a Khaya yotzab A chaya, a wilder animal, may not go out with a soger, a soger is a muzzle. But Rashi says over here a collar you can go out with a muzzle anything else that guards it what's the case here in this sprite we're talking about a large wild animal like a bear or a lion who would even put a muzzle muzzle's not enough you need something very strong so that can't be what we're talking about we're talking about a small wild animal why isn't a soger enough why isn't it considered to be a muzzle would be sufficient more than enough to be overkill Talking about a cat, Ikebe Tanakama Savar came into Sagile ben Mitno, could have used a simple cord, that would have been sufficient over here. Therefore, Masuihu, therefore putting on a muzzle is excessive. And that's what the Tanakama says, that's a Masuihu. Anything that is extra protection, we don't say it's considered to be a burden. Yes, you could have gotten away with less. But if you do more, that's not a burden. That's okay, that's fine. So it's a mahluk and we see here about whether when you put on extra protection, extra that is not necessary, is that considered to be a burden or not? Levi bra Ravuna So Levi was going along Varababar Ravuna, and Rabba Bar Ravuna, They went on the way. de the de The donkey of Levi went ahead. They were riding their donkeys, and his donkey went ahead of that of Rabba Bar Vahuna. Chalash <laughs> Rabba Varuna. Rabbi Varuna became upset by that. He thought it was a gi'ah is He was the greater of the two of them. He was the elder of the two of them. Therefore, he felt that he should have been let to go first because it's not kavod to let Levi pass him or have Levi go by. So he thought Levi intentionally passed him and he thought that was inappropriate. So Levi wanted to indicate to Rabba Verhuna that it wasn't him who did it, that the donkey was a little bit wild and he couldn't control it and that's why he went ahead. So Amar miltok itotav D'ate. Let me say something to him. Let me ask him a question. So then he'll feel better about it. Amalei kamor shezav ravim. You have a donkey who is not so controllable. He's a little bit wild. Kegon like my donkey. Maho let's say Shabbat. Can he go out with a bit on Shabbat? So amalei hachi Amara avuch. This is what your father said. Mishmade shmuel. That's amar avunam arshmuel. Halocha kechananya. Halocha is like chananya. Halocha is like chananya. Chananya said that if you have excessive protection or more than that's necessary, that's fine. So it would be fine to put a bit on your donkey, but what he was trying to say to him is, my donkey's wild, and that's why I went ahead of you. He was trying to placate him. And in asking the question, he indicated to him the problem that had happened and said that he didn't do it intentionally, so Rabbi Ravuna would not feel bad about the fact that Levi had passed him. We had in the Gemara and Bachol Debak and Daphne a similar story. And over there, when they reached the doorway, then he gave Kavod and let the elder go through, or the one who was older go through so the, he said to him what do you mean until now there was no kavod you went ahead of me the whole way and now you're letting me go first Yumara there says or he answers that there's only kavod be petach mezuzah. the only time there's kavod is where you're not in an open situation you're not in an area where it's not clear who's first who's second where you're going then there's no idea of kavod the only time there's kavod is when you have a doorway that's narrow and then you have to give someone the first right that's where kavod is necessary and noticeable So therefore, on the d'rachim, we don't do kabod ad drachim. Well, then what's the problem here in our Gemara? So it does what differentiates that if they are going together, if they are traveling together to the same destination and they started out together, then there is kabod bid'rachim. Then you have to give kabod to one another because you're traveling together. And as a party, you have to let the one who is deserving of kabod go first. If you happen to have met together or you happen to be traveling together but you didn't necessarily leave together or you're not going to the same destination, it's just happenstance that you both are traveling in the same way or end up in the same transportation, over there there's no din of kavod. Because you're really not considered to be a single party, or a single entity. And there there's only kavod if you're going through a doorway, or if you're going through something that would indicate clear definition of kavod. As far as the loch here, we say the loch is kechananya, and Tatsubod says, here, that the Loch is not like Hananiah, but rather the Loch is like Rav, the Mar ben the ben Lishamer Asur, Medishani abai vereva, verevina, davi batrai, ali So therefore, if we pass in the Loch like Rav, and the Loch is like Rav be suray, therefore anything that's extra protection on an animal would be considered to be a Masoi carrying on Shabbat, and it would be a violation of letting one's animal rest on Shabbat. So that's the way the Balei Atosva passing over here, as opposed to others who believe that the locha is kehananya. Okay, we'll stop over here.